0: District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about our sponsor, head over to CFACT.org. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Welcome to the podcast. I am your host, Gabriella Hoffman. Thank you so much for listening to District of Conservation. Whether you're new or returning, I greatly appreciate your listenership. Continue to spread the word if you find this content to be substantive and interesting. We would love to get more ears on the podcast. Today, I have another Florida-centric podcast. I really love talking to and befriending people from Florida because I think they're so unique. They have a lot of fun in the outdoors, and they have so many unique stories to tell. And today's guest, my new friend Matt Garski, is one of those individuals. So Matt works in local government, in the water conservation space, and our mutual friend Mike Elfinbean connected us When Mike noticed that I wasn't able to get some fishing in, so we made that connection possible. He took me out fishing to different various spots in the canals, in the various different regions, I think four or five different locations and some return locations, and we were able to catch some peacock bass, which are some of my favorite species to target, and we talk about a multitude of different Florida crazy stories relating to wildlife conservation, his interest in alligator farming. He expands on vervet monkeys living close to Fort Lauderdale if you didn't know that there are monkeys that live there so I had to have him expand on that for you guys since I was so intrigued by it and without further ado get to know Matt Garski and his work. I'm really thrilled to have my new friend Matt Garski on the podcast. Matt took me out by the way to do some peacock bass fishing when I was in Florida recently, and he helped me deliver on that promise. We went to so many different spots. He really is a fascinating person and I wanted to bring him on to recount that trip, but also talk about what he's doing in Florida. Matt, thank you so much for coming on District of Conservation.
1: Thank you for having me, Gabby.
0: Of course, talk about your background. What do you do and what drew you to taking an interest in the outdoors and in conservation?
1: Um well my interest in the outdoors began at a pretty young age. You know, I was always one of those kids who was playing outside, staying out too late, fishing. Um and honestly, I had a uh I had a, a great time and I really like I said, I i, I really like I told you, I really love the outdoors. And uh with that, like you have being a young man, being able to drive, I organically drew to Places that were unexplored, undiscovered, close to me, and yet I could still pursue my original passion of fishing. Um, Of course, the Everglades has a plethora of species to fish. I mean, the fishing is just insane out there, as you kind of saw in our little adventure. But, um, yeah, it really was just an organic growth, and I fell in love with it. I really did. I really fell in love with the Everglades the flora, the fauna, the fish, and uh, my role in conservation is just gone from there.
0: Yeah, and you do some work locally at one of the local water districts. You also do some stuff privately aside from your day-to-day job uh, raising alligators. You're also a gladesman. You're kind of a first-generation gladesman, according to our mutual friend, Mike Elfenbein, who facilitated our connection and uh, ability to go fishing together. So talk about that confluence, too, of what you do for your day-to-day job and then also what you do outside of it, too.
1: So um, my day-to-day job I'm a water manager for a uh, local municipality, um, we service a a very large number of people um, in the metropolitan South Florida area. And uh, what we do is very important because what we do restores the aquifer and provides we maintain a, uh, a balanced ecosystem in the water systems around. And uh, I'm very, 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 a very proud water manager. I'm very proud of my job and what I do. Um, and we do everything from invasive removal to bank restoration. If there's trash or blockages, we got it cleaned up. Um, just everything and anything that has to do with uh, flowing water and keeping our ecosystem, those ecosystems healthy. So I'm very passionate about that one.
0: And you also raise alligators. You told me that when we first met, (laughs) it was amazing kind of you running through that. So talk about private conservation of alligators. I think people don't know that aside from different wildlife agencies doing that, there's actually a burgeoning, I wouldn't say market, but there's a burgeoning sector of private individuals who are raising alligators in Louisiana, also in Florida. Talk about that, and what interested you to do that.
1: So uh, like I said, spending time in the out in the uh, Everglades, I naturally saw alligators because there's plenty of them around. And uh, I went on my first alligator hunt, I think around 18, and it was it was a ton of fun. It really was. And uh, once I finally got a hold of one of these magnificent creatures, um, I began to look at them. and I began to really see. How interesting they were um a, like a reptile living in like in that in those conditions in those waters it was just very interesting and uh one of the things that you can do with these alligators after you hunt them is you can take them to a processor um years down the road, I had become a pretty proficient alligator hunter and was bringing uh, gentlemen a gentlemen of a good size of uh pretty big alligators and uh every year consistently. And he asked if I wanted to do some work with him. Little did I know how engaged uh, I would become in this sector. So basically, we take the egg. We take we raise the alligator from egg to uh, adult. And from that, you have to go out and collect these alligator eggs um, off alligator nests, and alligator nests are guarded by angry alligator moms. So uh, we employ like a variety of methods via, via airboat and uh, one of my favorite, helicopter. And we'll go down, get these alligator eggs from this uh, these private lands in which you can only take half of the surveyed, surveyed amount of nest eggs. So there's always like a leftover bunch that's equivalent to the amount you took. That's how the state runs their uh, conservation plan with uh, private land uh, collections. And from there, we take the eggs and we incubate them. And we, we used a variety of different methods to just get them perfectly right during incubation 24-7. And uh, we had hatch rates over 90%, which is pretty awesome uh, compared to the state's hatch rates, which we completely blew out of the water. Um, And uh, from there, the alligators are fed like a balanced diet. They're kept in a good natural setting where they can get everything they need, everything they want. Uh, The water is clean. It's constantly filtered. Tanks are constantly flushed. um, And they just grow very fast. And from there, you know, depending on what size and what industry they'll be used for, your alligator will then be processed for meat and hides. And your hides will, you know, make your Louis Vuitton purses and other high-end uh, luxury items. And I have had, is, Sorry.
0: No, no, go ahead. You were, you were exa- explaining.
1: And uh, of course, the meat is used and shipped all around the world for restaurants and is quickly gaining popularity all across America, honestly. Everywhere has, uh, seems to have alligator meat nowadays.
0: I've had alligator meat at a Brazilian restaurant locally, and I will say okay. it was actually quite delicious. <laughs> And they made this like alligator sauce. It was like a sriracha mayo with a little more kick to it, like a South American flair. And it was really delicious. Like it was like, it looked like calamari or maybe like chicken nuggets and really great for dipping really was delicious. I was a convert (laughs) to that. So alligator (laughs) is very good.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. And, um, just the, the preparation and cooking of it and the handling of meat has just gotten better over the years. So it's really taken a foothold, um, as compared to what it used to be, uh, called down here was chewy chicken is what people used to call it, but it's, uh, it's really taking off everywhere.
0: And would you say that private conservation efforts, are they being met with a lot of opposition, because I know so many people with other elements of hunting or culling or wildlife management, even some people may object to that. Is there any opposition to that? I know there was some ban that the state of California passed on something relating to imports, exports from Louisiana. I don't know if they have the same ban with California as it relates to alligator skins, but mm-hmm. is there opposition to to what you do on the side? Um, Or not really, you personally haven't encountered it.
1: Uh, Not really. It's a very small sector. Um, Alligator farmers are kind of kept out of that. Um, As far as like the trade on the skin and hides, you actually have to put a CITES tag in an alligator. And uh, that tag cannot be removed from that hide. It has to be tanned with the hide and cannot be removed from that hide until it is made into a processed item.
0: That's very fascinating. And so you're essentially like a Florida man, but not someone who is going, you know, doing anything to, to get yourself on the news for any bad reason. And when we first met, when you picked me up to go fishing, Mm -hmm. I was telling you that you need to start a YouTube channel, which I think will really take off. So take my word. I think you should, I think you should start a YouTube channel with all your different (laughs) activities too, and including fishing. So you like peacock bass fishing. I have caught peacock bass before on Florida's western coast and you helped me land two and you were very very adamant about me trying to get different uh peacock bass. You were really good with sight fishing, which was awesome and I hope I was a good fishing participant and cooperative. Oh, you, were, you were awesome. Good, good. And uh you were really trying to like get me to to target different fish and we saw that last one, that really big one in that middle section of the canal. Mm-hmm. Why don't you explain Florida's Canal system, especially South Florida. Obviously, the peacock bass were introduced in 1984 and yes. they're from the Amazon originally. And I, I posted it, and people were like, What is this species? I didn't know it exists in Florida. And I explained mm-hmm. they were introduced, they're a non native species, but they're not problematic. And they're actually really good for kind of the situation and for the Correct. water quality. What is so unique about the peacock bass for those so, unfamiliar?
1: Yeah. So basically um they tried to introduce peacock bass to texas even before they were introduced to uh, florida and all those introductions failed so they found that tropical florida specifically miami-dade and broward county and some possible counties on the west coast where actually they have taken a great foothold um would hold peacock bass and the benefit would be to combat the ever-expanding tilapia population, uh, cichlid population, and other somewhat more natural prey than uh, that the peacock bass would be used to. So basically, you had all these non-native fish that were released that this peacock bass would naturally go after. So why not introduce a top predator into this system that cannot get out because it cannot tolerate freezing temperatures. And it really did help to kill the uh, non-native population down there in the canals of of fish.
0: It has, and it's actually jived really well with a lot of different aquatic life. And they like to be and reside in warm temperatures. I know if water goes below 60 degrees, Mm-hmm. They don't thrive. They die off. So Florida's right. ample year round sunny weather and lack of cold temps is actually a really good environment for them to thrive. Kind of like in the Amazon where they're originally from.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And if how big have they grown? Yeah. And, and, and in your approximation, like, have you caught any beyond like several feet or you catch like the mid-size kind of two to four pounders?
1: Um, most of them are around a pound, a pound and a half with, uh, they're are definitely fish that exceed the nine pound range in the systems around south florida um i don't recall what the current record is but it's not too too uncommon to hook into a three or four pounder if you're going sight fishing for a few days but it you have to uh generally do it in the time we went which is early summer uh when they're most aggressive during the spawn
0: And we were trying three different methods and third time was a charm. So I was like, yeah, I want to try to get it on the fly and see what I can do. And I was told from a friend that woolly buggers work really well. And we had brightly colored woolly buggers to present to them, but they just weren't taking it. So I was just like, ah, and then we moved to lures. And then the last option we tried, the last presentation with shiner bait, I have done that before, actually, my friend, Captain Debbie Hansen, Uh, use that with me. This was before I got into fly fishing, like four, five years ago. And the shiner just worked like a charm. And we had, we were trying to do our best. If you remember from Saturday that, uh, just to keep it alive and make sure that they were like swimming, because if they're just dead and presented to the peacock bass, they don't really do anything. They're not effective as a bait. So we had to, we had that challenge of making sure that they were still moving, uh, as the bass ate them or, or took their bait.
1: Yeah, they're definitely a uh, a very picky fish and like it it kind of was a late spawn right now. So a lot of those fish that we were fishing, you know, had had something thrown at them before or have, you know, a lot of places we were fishing is are, were where people like frequent. So they might be a little more wary uh, this time of year and a little harder to catch.
0: I didn't know that. That's so interesting. But can you catch them for the most part year round, even after they spawn, or they're just kind of like uncooperative afterwards?
1: Um, you, you can catch them year round, uh, of course, using the Shiner method and using artificials and whatnot. Um, they still have to eat, but the presentation to them that they seem to like is very specific and um, very hard to replicate. Like, it's really hard to finesse fish a, a peacock bass. Like, they, you, you can do it. People have definitely done it, but generally they don't go after a, a finesse bait, just like a soft plastic.
0: Yeah. They're very particular. Like yeah, yeah. We were, we were trying, what was the one we were using in particular?
1: No, the, uh, the rattle track.
0: Yeah. They, they were kind of biting, but they were just like, eh, it's not flattering enough. So they just kind of spat it out. If we got any hits, I think I got maybe one or two hits using it when we were at that first location and then you said after lunch, like we have to go with the shiners because you were so like adamant about me catching one. I was like, I was appreciative and, and it was good because shiners are foolproof, um, successful baits to catch. They're kind of a finicky fish particular, you can catch them largely year round with the shiners. And aside from that species, what else do you like targeting
1: um, in Florida? Because you guys bass. have a vast. I I'd I like largemouth bass. Um, they're... They're very finicky, just like the peacock bass, but in a way that something you use one day, they will not touch the next day. Hmm. Their, their bite changes. Um, I mean, tournaments are, are completely fished around them. Freshwater tournaments are completely fished around them. Um, I also like bow fishing. Like, I'll go, sometimes go bow fish uh, some of the exotic tilapia that we have down there. Um, they're big targets, and, I mean... They're not bad eating either.
0: I know that's controversial (laughs) (laughs) because some Florida friends balk at the notion of eating bass. I have eaten bass in Virginia before. Don't Mm -hmm. hold it against me. Anyone listening. It actually does taste good. The meat is not bad. I think it depends on the situation and the water source that you're fishing them from. Mm -hmm. If you know, it's, if it's like the Potomac, I don't recommend fishing that because that is so polluted with PCBs and other unknown toxins highly do not recommend fishing it from the Potomac, but if it's a clean water source and there's, let's say no shortage of them, their populations are healthy and you're curious to eat them. That's when I think it's okay to do it. But I know in Florida that it's kind of frowned upon to eat them.
1: (laughs) The funny thing is Gladesman used to call them freshwater grouper.
0: (laughs) You mentioned that. I remember freshwater grouper. So it has a tasty meat. I I don't remember how they taste because it's been a few years since I last ate some. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> some bass, but it, it, yeah, it, it can be edible for those curious. Yeah. But, uh, if you're fishing with diehard bass anglers, avoid eating them, do catch and release if you're fishing with people and, and don't take it, but it depends on who you fish with. Like if I fished with you and we caught a nice one, then you would recommend eating it, but it depends on the person. Uh, but don't mention it to someone who is a catch and release bass fisherman because <laughs> they will uh, look down upon you. And Next thing I wanted to talk about, which was so fascinating, I actually did research on this. When you were driving me back to my hotel, you had told me about a very interesting species that is not native to Florida, but that has called the Fort Lauderdale area, especially the airport home. And I found a Forbes article about this, and it was published in May of this year. But it was regarding the fact that there are wild African green monkeys living in the mangrove forest near the airport. And I was shocked when you told me this Mm -hmm. and it was just so surprising to me that monkeys, which are not native to Florida, they're introduced if anything, and they usually occur at the park and go. And you said like, people have told you they've seen monkeys. I don't know if you've seen monkeys personally, if that was you or you were just saying kind of an anecdote about it. And so obviously they're not native And they live in the mangrove trees there. And people, I'm looking at this Forbes article as we're talking. They apparently, people have taken photos of them on the tarmac, on buildings at the airport. And apparently in May, it said that a team of researchers at your alma mater had (laughs) discovered that um, they're actually very adaptable and they've lived in the region in a novel environment in South Florida for, they call them the Dania chimpanzee farm was where they first hailed from. And they said that they traced the monkeys to an escape from the chimpanzee farm in 1948. And the the facility imported primates from Africa for medical research purposes. Did you know that? (laughs) Is that, I think that's the official (laughs) information. Those
1: those, those are the monkeys. Um, What was the the species? It starts with a V. It's
0: right. It's it's a chloro, Chlorocebus sabius monkeys, but they call them the wild African green monkey.
1: Gotcha. I think. Gotcha. Cool.
0: Yeah. And they apparently made
1: a jailbreak from the facility. (laughs) Yeah. And the crazy thing is, that was what? Over 60 years ago?
0: Yeah, give or take.
1: Yeah, that's a long time.
0: And they say that they're from Sierra Leone originally. And that. What else about them? They have a golden tipped tail and a greenish brown hair. They lack a pronounced brow band around the face, and males have a pale blue scrot. Oh boy, that's too much information. Um, so, so they said it's characteristic of this particular species. So, have you encountered them? Have many people caught sight of them?
1: Um, if we had had more time, we could have gone to the park and go and they. They like to come out around lunchtime. Oh my that's gosh! When people come and feed them. So <laughs> Is it allowed to feed them? Um, it's are you upon. allowed to feed them? I think it's one of those frowned upon things. Yes. I, don't know, I don't know the laws, so I'm not saying do. We're it. We're not going to encourage
0: it. it, but people yeah. do feed them.
1: We just, as uh, a matter of fact, yes, yes. So, but uh, no, I did a uh, I had a job in there a few years ago, and uh, in that marsh back there. And they're all over the place and they will come right up to you.
0: And, and have you seen them? I think I asked, but, but could you clarify if you've seen them before? Yeah. Yes. yes. Are they friendly, aggressive? What is their temperament?
1: Um, they're very friendly. Uh, they just, they just seem to want food.
0: That's so fascinating. And yeah. are they doing anything? I think there's uh, what is it like an association that wants to protect them? I saw that. Hold on. It is.
1: <laughs> it's called the Vervet Project.
0: Is Vervet. that what you meant? Yeah. Is yeah. that what their name is officially?
1: Yeah. The Vervet Monkeys. That's, okay. That's the Vervet Monkeys. Learn the mass.
0: But yeah, they call them the African green-tailed monkey, as we had talked about. But Vervet is, I guess, their formal name and it's yes. called the Vervet Project and they're in 501c3. To promote education, protection, and conservation of the Dania beach monkeys. Although they're non-native, we believe they should be afforded health care and privileges that Florida native wildlife have. Interesting, huh? In the tenets of compassionate conservation. So fascinating stuff. I I was so curious and I was like, we have to talk about this when we do our interview. So the vervet monkey, fascinating. And and do you know how many there are, you think? What is the Um,
1: number? I'm not sure. I can tell you I've seen at least 25 together in a group though. Wow. Yeah.
0: That is crazy. That yeah, is crazy.
1: Yeah. I, I, mean, I think I have pictures on my phone. Um I'll send them to you. I'll send yeah, them to you. Yeah,
0: later. Life. For sure. And that's not the only strange wildlife. I don't know if you've heard reports of this, but peacocks are starting to overrun your area, the very beautiful bird from India. I think yeah. i would seen a TV report of this and have you encountered many aggressive ones? Are they, no. they're problematic or no, in your mind?
1: Um, so they are, they're basically a neighborhood bird. Um, they're somebody's pet that they bring in who they think is cool. And they kind of just uh, loaf around the neighborhood. I wouldn't say there's a, a big cause, uh, like a big, reason to be concerned as of now but i do think if some of these areas keep getting uh seemingly overrun then i think there should be some sort of control implemented to at least uh somewhat cull the ones that are that are you know the areas that where there are too many
0: yeah i think i'm reading some headlines now where is it in palm bay
1: They really just seem to be in urban areas. It it seems like people keep them alive.
0: Clearwater. I think Miami has an issue with them. And it's interesting, um, law enforcement, obviously, uh, anyone who knows, they say it's not illegal to harvest them. Is there a season to cull them? Or because they're non-native, kind of invasive, is it like open season? I highly doubt that you'll be able to... uh, harvest them unless there is some season because I know so many people even if it is legal there would be the emotional argument to not harvest them because they are very beautiful uh, but people have told me that they do taste like chicken
1: um so I hear they are very good I hear they are very tasty um and the only issue is it, it's a non-native it's an exotic it's an it could be an invasive but not yet and it does not have a season on it. So with that, it's essentially on private lands, open season year-round.
0: That makes that sense, lands. yeah.
1: But if you shoot the neighbor's peacock accidentally that, you know, is named Joey and that they love, you know, would you really want to deal with those? No. So not at all. all but, but if you're in an area where there's 70 roosting on your roof every morning we we kind of have an issue but I don't think it's at that point yet
0: one species that is completely overrunning the area and we saw so many of them were the iguanas and I think many people are very cognizant about their omnipresence and their just prevalence in the region. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing how many we saw. We, we called that one spot what was a dead iguana alley or something. I forget <laughs> what we named it jokingly. And that thing was huge. And then we saw multiple ones that were just gargantuan in size and they bobbed their head down and it was so interesting. And they were trying to attack that set of ducklings that we saw at the first spot. Mm-hmm. And it was just so interesting to see them, and, and and see them thrive and, and be in these areas. I mean, there it seems like the area is overrun and, and definitely there is a season for hunting them. People go actually really crazy about hunting them. There's like events centered around it. Uh, a lot of people go out of their way to do it and and to help harvest them. And I think some people eat them. I've never had iguana. I don't know if I want to <laughs> eat them. Uh, but, but talk about that it, from what you've heard about iguana season. I think many people outside of Florida think, oh no, how could we do this? Uh, these are reptiles. Uh, talk about why people have been calling them and why it's permissible in Florida to call their numbers.
1: Um, so the iguana numbers, uh, there was a big freeze and I think it was 2012. And uh, since then, they, they have just been exploding. The numbers, I would say, two years ago were as crazy as I'd ever seen them. But then with the large number of iguanas came a large number of iguana hunters. Hmm. This this kind of iguana hunters kind of really came like I said came out of the blue in the last 2 years. And um what it really was was they found uh an industry in it. A lot of people now are getting the contracts to remove these iguanas where, you know, they're you know urinating or defecating on the seawalls and where they're eating a bunch of people's uh, ornamentals and whatnot, and they'll trap these iguanas. They will um, harvest these iguanas with air rifles safely, and then they will actually take the whole iguana, um, get the meat off of it, and make it into chum. And I think uh, and they're actually making wallets out of the skin now, I believe, too. So there are markets now opening up for iguanas, because they have become such a problematic species, but it seems like the iguana hunters lately have been putting a dent on them.
0: They certainly have also, like pythons. pythons. Yes. Which yes. you had warned me. I think you said it, had we gone, I think if we had gone closer to the Everglades that I would have to be on the alert for them. <laughs> you scared yeah. me a little bit with that.
1: <laughs> yeah. There's um. It seems like anytime we go out, especially more south towards Miami Dade County, there always seems to be a possibility. And it's really? always, of course, when you're least expecting it. You know, there's a snake right there. And That's I think amazing. there's a lot more than people think.
0: Yes, because some person introduced them and they have just been overrunning the region with them. Yes. And, and they just grow gargantuan. I've seen some of the shows on what is it, Discovery, maybe National Geographic. And some grow huge and people can actually make a living through python hunting. And I think there's the famous python hunter who Mike knows. I forget what his name is off the top of my head, but he he has like a verified Instagram account and he hunts pythons. I think he calls himself the python hunter. Uh, I think that's his name or there's someone. Uh,
1: python cowboy.
0: Yeah, python cowboy. There we go. Python yeah. hunter, python cowboy. And so like some people are actually able to make a livelihood from hunting them, talk about the conservation associated with it, and much other, many other things uh, that relate to it. So you guys have such a wide variety of species. You have monkeys that live near the airport. You have pythons, you have (laughs) iguanas, you have peacock bass. You have, gosh, an array of different saltwater species, which I would love to target again at some point too, and try to get some bonefish as well in the Florida Keys. Maybe at some point I can do that. But uh, Matt, this has been so much fun to talk about. Where could people connect with you? And like I said, I think you should start a YouTube channel and I hope you will.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I get, I, ever a lot of people tell me that, um, you can follow me on Instagram at Bladesman 797, um, or just, uh, friend me on Facebook. I really don't do, uh, Twitter or anything. Um, just, uh, send me a personal message. And, uh, if you want to learn South Florida area, I'll be happy to point you in the right way to whatever, uh, endeavors you may have.
0: That's awesome. I will make sure that people connect with you. I'll send some followers your way when we do the promotion for this episode. Thank you again, Matt. And I hope we can do some fishing again very soon. This has been a lot of fun.
1: It's been great, Gabby. It was great uh, talking with you.
0: Thank you for listening to the show. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Make sure you're following us on your preferred podcast player. We like to recommend Apple Podcasts because Apple is where most of our listenership hails from. So if you head over to Apple subscribe comb through some episodes and leave us reviews we'd be more than appreciative of your support in that manner follow us on facebook instagram and twitter to never miss a beat nor a guest announcement and you can connect with me personally on my social media feeds all of the facebook twitter and instagram links that i have are all denoted by blue check marks, really easy to find me. So engage with me there. I'd love to hear your thoughts. If you want to recommend yourself for the show as a prospective guest, I'm all ears to hear and sift through different inquiries. Stay tuned for the next episode. Appreciate you listening.